John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Hey, good morning, everybody. Here on this Wednesday, middle of the week. On the, I guess you could almost say the eve of the start of the football season because the Kansas City Chiefs host the Houston uh, Texans tomorrow in the first Thursday night game and the first game of the regular season. All excitement building up to that. And, of course, teams are continuing to juggle their rosters as they get ready for the opening game. So there's a lot of things going on, massive contract extensions being done. And so we'll get into all of that with the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. The Niners have blitzed almost every play in this drive. Let's see if they do it again. Manning up. Blitz is coming. Russell scrambles right. Looks through. Ball is caught. First down. Inside the one-yard line. Are you kidding? John Ursua gets the ball back inside. Inside the one. An 11-yard gain. And so John Ursua was released yesterday, a big surprise, because, again, he's a really talented slot receiver, probably can do some special teams on returns and all that. And so I think everybody was caught by surprise. And so what you wonder is, okay, what went behind this move? Is this one that, uh, you know, on the case of Penny, Penny Hart, who was able to come off the practice squad, that somebody was coming after Penny Hart and they didn't have the ability to protect him? Well, maybe not. Uh, the other idea is maybe just to see, like every team has been able to do, to slide the uh, the guy through and see if he can come back on the practice squad and that could be a possibility too but you think there's a good chance that he could be claimed on somebody but so far this year there's only at least in that final cut only 17 players were claimed and I think about seven of those were draft choices from mostly you know 2019 2018 maybe one from 2017 so teams are kind of shying away from doing that where normally on that first cut down day uh, the day after 41 guys usually get claimed there's 40, but in the end, uh, you can see there's only 17, and so there's a chance he can slide through. The other thing I'm wondering about is that because uh, you know Penny Hart has not been. Uh you know, talked about at all, a uh, guy just, uh, you know, been around, is that could this be leaving a spot for Josh Gordon? If Gordon gets cleared off the exempt list, uh, that could be a possibility. We'll see if that could go because he still hasn't got the ruling from the league yet. That's uh, still up in the air. And then uh, is it an idea that maybe they wanted to make sure that Freddie Swain makes the 53-man roster and could be used maybe as a return guy? So all those things are in play as we speak, but uh, that was an interesting move. Now, Ursula had some hamstring injuries in camp and that did hold him back so he was not waived injured just simply waived i would have to think he's going to get claimed particularly coming out this late but again you look at the cuts from monday uh, sunday and monday uh and even tuesday and nobody got claimed and so and also the idea if you do claim him you know you're not going to be able to play him pretty much this week because he's going to have to go to some place by uh thursday and he's going to go through COVID's testing and so if, you know it very well could be the gamble on ursua to make sure that they can have him put him on the practice squad and bring him back and then if they need to they can take him to atlanta and try to play but interesting move we'll see how it goes i know Pete carroll will talk about it at 135 today and you can hear it here on 7 10 ESPN Seattle. Number two. Spoke about it with my agent, but um, I, I feel like that was a really uh, short subject. Um, I never wanted to get to a point where I played ball when it, when it came to uh, the money, so I didn't want to keep that focus on that. So like I said, the main thing is just trying to find ways to win, and it's going to play itself out. Uh, the main thing is that uh, the coaches, the organization, they know I love it here. Uh, I feel like that's very noticeable. I, I would love to be here, you know, as long as I can, if not forever. 
But at the end of the day, like I said, it's going to work itself out. The only thing I can focus on is the next day, the next play. So uh, that's helping my team win. I've never really been big on, you know, the contract and things like that because it's always going to play itself out. Well, conversations have started now with Shaquille Griffin to see if he can get a contract extension. And you can see that the two big decisions that have to be made are two guys that have done so well from the 2017 draft, Shaquille Griffin, and also what can be done with the uh, ability to get uh, something done with Chris Carson. All those things are going to be in play. Now, of course, don't get uh, too crazy in the standpoint of thinking on the number that uh, Jalen Ramsey, which we'll talk about, which is $21 million a year. That, of course, was huge. But... uh, uh, you know, you would have to think at this stage, you know, the franchise number this year for cornerbacks was 16.3 million. And, you know, you look at Shaquille, okay, he's a Pro Bowl guy, and I'm thinking, you know, he gets more of the transition number, and that would be probably more in that $14.1 million range. But I think that they'd like to get something done this year because then next year they can still try to do something with Chris Carson, who is going to come in at a cheaper price than Shaquille Griffin. But I think that, you know, what you can see is trying to get your own play players taken care of first then they have to make a decision on Quentin Dunbar uh Dunbar still fighting to get that starting job away from Trey Flowers and you would anticipate at some point that's going to happen but stay tuned on the negotiating front for Shaquille Griffin you know again the franchise number was 16-3 this year and 14-1 was the transition number and you know franchise guy is a top five I think you have to look at uh, Shaquille Griffin as being somewhere in that group you know between uh, 8 to 15. Number three. The look in by Watson. Here's the pitch. The Seager swung on hard hit ground ball, but right to the second baseman, Solano. He's got it. The throw to first in time to get Seager, and the ball game is over. The Giants win it tonight, 6-5. to five. Snap for the Mariners' six-game winning streak here in San Francisco. Mariners lose, and that breaks that six-game losing winning streak, and they lose six to five to the San Francisco Giants. And of course, you know the Giants have been a surprise team at 21 and 21 going into the game, and of course the Mariners have been a big surprise. You know, try to climb up, and even though the loss was uh, a difficult one, one that they had in their hands, uh, they now fall two and a half games behind the Astros in the AL West. You know, of course uh, the Mariners did start uh, L.J. Newsom, uh, but a ball hit off his right hand in the second inning, and so. So x-rays came back negative. We don't know how long he's going to be out. So overall, the Mariners, uh, you know, you knew they were going to lose. And of course, you know, this is a stretch right now where they can make up some ground because you'd have to say that uh, as well as they've played, you know, they're pretty close to the Giants. And they're now trying to see in this road trip if they can get up to 500. Now they're three games below 500. And so we're four games below 500. And so they try to make sure that they can, you know, get to that mark and see where they can go from there. So the series is going to be a split, of course. They have the second game coming up tonight. Then they have another game in a couple of days in Seattle uh, against the Giants. So they have four total games against the Giants. The pregame tonight is going to start at 530. Uh, the first pitch will be at 645. And you can hear it on 710 ESPN Seattle. Number four. Out of the shotgun. Garoppolo stands in, going deep. It is intercepted by Jalen Ramsey. Looking for room to run. Ramsey breaks a tackle. Gets to the far sideline, and he's taken out of bounds by Coleman. Jalen Ramsey with his first interception as a Ram. 
Jalen Ramsey gets a five-year, $105 million contract, $21 million, but don't think it's really $21 million. Again, again, the numbers, I think, are real. Now, what's not real is seeing that he got $71.2 in guarantees. Well, the guarantees, which is plural, would include an injury guarantee. But what's going to be interesting to see is that uh, how the real contract breaks down. Because what you have to look at, and really Patrick Mahomes was one of the first to get this done, what are the real numbers? Because, you know, what agents do, teams do, they look at the new new money that's being added. But what you're also talking about, the new money is the money that's going to be there for uh, the 2022 season, 2023, when the cap is going to go up dramatically because of the new TV contracts. And so what you look at, like in Mahomes, I mean, he signed 10 years, $450 million, $45 million a year. But in reality, the 12 years he's going to be there, it's going to be you know in that uh, 39.8 million dollar range that's why Deshaun Watson signed for 39 million and not getting 40 million and so you can also see like for example DeAndre Hopkins of Arizona he just got a deal, a two-year extension at uh, $27.25, million a year, a little bit over that, $54 million. But in reality, it's probably going to work out to about maybe $18.8 million a year over the length of the five years he's going to be under contract. So we have to kind of do some juggling to get the real world because when the, nobody's going to be able to come back and say, oh, yeah, I'm going to want $20, $22 million if I'm going to be the next cornerback to be signed. You know, Marcus Lattimore will be asking for that. But in reality, it's, it is $105 million over in the five years of the contract. But again, we'll see how that's going to go. Uh, we'll see how it stretches out. The deal just got done. And so, uh, you know, he's under contract and Hopkins is under contract. So some of the big stars in the uh, a- NFC West getting done. Number five. When you have a young quarterback in Drew Locke, you're trying to build around him. One of the things they thought they could offer him, and they still think they could offer him, is a great and dominant defense as part of his support system. Obviously, that takes a major, major hit when you lose a player like Von Miller. He's one of those guys, you know, I was talking to the Chargers last week about Derwin James. They say, how do you replace Derwin James? You can't replace Derwin James. You have to mix and match and find ways to do it other than just plug one guy in there. Von Miller fits that description as well. Uh, and obviously just a, a devastating thing to happen for the Broncos just a couple of days before the season starts. Yeah, that one is devastating because, again, a big, big loss of a very good player. And uh, that's now two years where bad luck has struck the uh, uh, Denver Broncos because last year was Bradley Chubb. He gets the injury, and he's out for the year. And this is a bad ankle injury. I mean, there's an outside chance he may be able to come back in three months, but I think everybody pretty well acknowledges this is going to be a season-ending injury for him, and that's going to be a big blow to their defense. And it could take them from being a borderline playoff team maybe down to 8-8 eight and eight or 7 and nine that's how good this guy is i mean from 2011 on i think he's had a hall of fame type career you take the sacks out now you have chubb on the other side now you can at least pay more attention to him but that combination of chubb and miller was expected to be good but now for two consecutive years it hasn't been able to get together and really we'll see what team might be able to move up to take that slot i had them going to the playoffs uh, over houston houston may be able to claim that we'll see if the raiders can do it we'll see if the chargers can do it but I think at this stage, Broncos may have gone from a wild card team to a team that's not going to make the playoffs. You can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go into further review and talk about some of the matchup concerns that the Seahawks have when they go to Atlanta and face the Falcons. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Well, of course, the Atlanta Falcons are uh, coming out and having a game hosting the Seahawks on Sunday. 
early morning game. That will begin at 10. You'll be able to hear it on 710 ESPN Seattle. But <clears throat> interesting that last year, uh, right before the bye week, uh, Seattle went down to Atlanta Pretty well dominated the game, and we're going to talk to Orlando uh, Ledbetter from the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution uh, in the next segment to get really the preview on it. But at that time, the fans weren't in the stands. The team was just terrible. They were not good defensively. They were struggling on offense. I mean, they weren't a very good football team. But again, they do have talent. They have Matt Ryan at quarterback. They have Julio Jones at wide receiver, which is going to create problems and match up problems for the cornerbacks because he's so good. But of course, now the Seahawks could put out their two Pro Bowl caliber type cornerbacks if Quentin Dunbar ends up winning the starting job. Uh, you know, it was the second best, according to Pro Football Focus, in coverage last year. So let's see what the, the opinions are as far as what can happen. I know uh, some of the matchups. Uh, Jake Heaps was on Tuesday talking about some of the matchups with that Falcon game coming up. What matchup concerns do you have for the Seahawks going up against the Falcons? Uh, to me, when you look at the matchup concerns um, uh, for the Seahawks going up against the Falcons, it, it's a couple. Really, that stand out to me. One, it's going to be Marquise Blair. He's been a standout in training camp. Well, guess what? You're going to get tested week one because the Falcons have a tremendous speedy receivers all across the field. You're going to see Julio Jones lined up in the slot. You're going to see Calvin Ridley lined up in the slot. And you're going to see one of the best tight ends in the NFL, in my opinion, Hayden Hurst, um, who was originally with the Baltimore Ravens. He's going to be matched up against him uh, in in. Atlanta, And I think that that will be a telling story there to see how Marquise Blair does. Secondly, it's going to be this defensive line. How do they hold up uh, in the run game? Are they able to generate uh, a pass rush against a pretty good offensive line? They were banged up last year, but this group right now is a is a good sizable group and and I am concerned that with Todd Gurley and this offensive line that they're going to be able to successfully establish the run. And lastly, going to go to the offensive line the other unproven part of it at least the right side they're going to go up against a pretty darn good group with this defensive line unit unit alan bailey a veteran in this league 10 years experience um, who played with kansas city chiefs he's he's now with the falcons they added dante fowler jr um, you look at marlon davidson a, a a really good defensive lineman that was drafted in the second round grady jarrett's one of the best defensive tackles in football just overall they've got a really good unit that can get after the passer and make things difficult so in the trenches that's the matchups of concern, and I'm interested to see how Marquise Blair does. Well, the one thing is, is that, uh, and I, I agree with most of the stuff. Although I tell you, the offensive line still is an issue for the Atlanta Falcons, and we'll talk to Dee Ledbetter about that coming up. But uh, you know, how good is that offensive line? Because it really, despite all the efforts to put first round picks in it, they drafted two first rounders last year. I know that they're good at left tackle with Jake Matthews, but uh, you know, then uh, that's going to be something I think you know could give the Seahawks a little bit of a chance. You know, are they going to be good? In internally to be able to take Jaron Reed because Jaron Reed going up against the guards I think is going to be you know a good matchup for Seattle uh, certainly the issues right now uh, with Des- Des- Marcus Desmond Trufant no longer there in Atlanta they've got some big issues at the cornerback position uh, he's right about uh, Jake Heaps talking about you know the pass rush I mean you have to find a way for Dante Fowler but one of the things that's just so curious right now about the Falcons is that uh, here you have Dan Quinn a defensive coordinator 
coordinator here has that uh, Seahawks system, the Pete Carroll system. And even up until the bye week last year, they were mixing and matching. They were kind of doing a hybrid type of defense with a 4-3 and a 3-4, and it uh, it really struggled. And that didn't work out. And so after the bye week, they junked that and kind of went back to the uh, – Pete Carroll's scheme, and they started playing better. The defense kind of improved, but they're back apparently using that uh, hybrid type of defense. But of course, that's going to cause the, jo- uh, the problems right now for the offensive line. Uh, you know, only, and I guess that's maybe the benefit of having Ethan Posick at center, even though he's a new center for the team, center's his natural position, but I think that with the only of the two changes. So certainly there's going to be the challenge on the right side of the offensive line, you know, trying to be able to contain things because, uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, two new guys there, Brandon Shell and Damian Lewis, Damian, of course, being the rookie. I think on the cornerback side, you know, they played pretty much use a three receiver set, although they may mix more two tight end, the Falcons do. But Julio Jones is going to be any kind of a matchup problem. And so I don't know if there's a way in with the more man they're going to play that they can get a little bit of a double team with him. But, of course, he's the main guy. I mean, a guy that's pretty much had a Hall of Fame type of career. So they've got to first be able to take him. I'm no, I don't know about the running game. I mean, the running game, I think, is going to be a big, tough issue for the Falcons, mainly because they, uh, you know, they got Todd Gurley. But, you know, Gurley, and you saw how he struggled with the arthritic knee, and they're going to try to limit him to about 15 to 25 touches and so you know he Gurley of course knows this defense so well having been with the Rams so many years but uh, you know you look at the Falcons and I'm just kind of baffled uh, what kind of team they really are because uh, you know I think they should be better than their record but the record is what the record is and I don't know Curtis I mean what do you feel as far as some of the tough matchups in this game? Well, I think the matchup I'm going to be looking at most is this newly revamped Seahawks secondary going up against Atlanta's passing attack, which, as Jake mentioned in that clip, I mean, Atlanta's always going to have a great passing game as long as Matt Ryan is their quarterback and Julio Jones is their number one receiver. You throw in Calvin Ridley, you throw in Hunter Henry, uh, or Hayden Hurst, I meant. The initials, they're the same initials. Hayden Hurst. uh, That is going to be a tough, tough task. And Dan Quinn, the Falcons head coach, he had his conference call earlier today, uh, was asked about the challenges Seahawks the Seahawks secondary might present against their offense. Here's what Quinn had to say. I certainly do. And, um, you know, what's, you know, been so impressive about, you know, not only working in Seattle, but following them is just, you know, how clear and clean the identity is. And that was the case from, you know, 2010, starting with Pete, and you still see it now in terms of how they play and the style they play. So adding a guy like Jamal into that style and, They'll know exactly how to feature them and the things to do in that. And then at the linebackers, obviously, with Bobby and KJ and then adding Jordan into that and Bruce and his unique role. So um, the resources that they added, um, it'll be clear to a lot of people how they would feature them because they've got great experience and a history of doing that. John, when you look at the matchup, Seattle's secondary against Atlanta's passing attack, who do you think gets the better of the other? Mm, I'd say right now, uh, I think the Seahawks <clears throat> I think they have the advantage. I, they, I really do because, you know, you got right now the strength, I think, of the Falcons is their passing game, and we'll see about the running game. And, I can, and the strength of the defense for the Seattle is going to be the uh, secondary. And so I think there's an advantage there. Then the other thing that I think I look at is that, uh, you know, what you're seeing is a pretty – a good uh, wide receiving core, tight end core, and all that, and how they match up against a secondary right now that I think has a lot of problems. And so, uh, you know, again, they let uh, they couldn't keep 
Trufant. I mean, they're okay at safety, but how good are they in the secondary? You know, certainly the defensive line has a pretty good chance of getting some pressure on, but I think right now in both areas, both uh, the Seahawks with their passing offense and their offense in general, because again, the Falcons defense has not been what everybody's expected it to be. True, very true. Uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a, a tremendous test for the Seahawks secondary right out of the gate. Uh, there's going to be no time to really uh, adjust. They're going to have to be right on it from the start of the whistle uh, there on Sunday. But I think, like you said, John, I think the Seahawks secondary is at a place where they can go up against any offense yeah. and hold their own, and maybe not just hold their own, but even you know, sort of enforce their will on the other team. I think it's going to be one heck of a start, and, and I'm looking forward to Sunday. Hey, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to D. Orlando Ledbetter from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution to get the scouting report on the Falcons. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. Well, we were going to talk to... Uh, Dee Ledbetter, but of course, uh, on this crazy Wednesday, you know, the first Wednesday of the season, and you have to kind of feel sorry for beat people right now. Dee, of course, being the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's beat person covering the Falcons. I mean, it's kind of a messy situation because what happened, I know I talked to Dee about it yesterday, and uh, Dee says that, uh, you know, what has to happen now is that there's no access to practice, there's no press room, and so you have to kind of, you know, make that long drive out to where they practice and uh, be a available to try to do some things but the problem is you basically have to work out of your car and so it makes it tough and of course you're juggling interviews and zoom calls and everything else and so all the b people covering a lot of these teams aren't as fortunate as maybe it is here because again you know it's a more comfortable situation over at the vmac you can uh you know pretty much uh you know they have the ability to get in the building and of course uh you know i guess it may not be the case for the falcons we'll see we'll see how that goes but we'll hope to catch up with the a little bit but again i know that uh, dan quinn held his press conference today you're going to have uh, Pete carroll holding his at 135 and you'll be able to hear it on 710 espn seattle so a lot of things going on but kind of interesting to see the falcons you know they uh, they were tight against the cap uh they did make one move in getting dante fowler uh and overall that was a three-year deal at 45 million dollars by the way you got the jevy and clowny number of exit came out to be one year 13 million with two million dollars of incentives they also were able to get Todd Gurley with the uh, one-year $5.5 million deal. Uh, but other than that, I mean, everybody that they brought in pretty much at the minimum salary. So uh, they were able to get uh, Darquez Denard at cornerback. But again, that's a minimum salary deal. Then, of course, their draft choices, they're almost going to have to depend on uh, a first-round pick uh, T.J. Uh, Terrell to start at cornerback. You know, Marlon Davidson seems to be a pretty encouraging defensive tackle that Jay Keeps did talk up and talk very well about. And so overall, uh, you know, the, what they added, you know, isn't on a team right now that didn't go to the playoffs. I don't know if he's going to be enough to get them to the playoffs. But uh, Curtis, what kind of things did Dan have to say? Well, we talked about uh, their slow start last year, and he talked about how they were able to turn things around in the season second half. It was, uh, you know, when you have those moments where enough is enough, that certainly was enough is enough to say we're not going to win games turning it over three times and, and not having, you know, the effectiveness of the things that we wanted to stay true to. So um, that's really, I would say, I don't know if it was the turning point, but I would think it's it was a spot to shine a light on to say, you know, we're not going to, continue down this path into this space. 
you know, when you don't win, it's hard to use that as a turning point, honestly. Yeah, and you look at the Falcons last year, John, they started off so slowly. They were one of the worst teams in the NFL record-wise through about the season's midway point. They were 1-7 after the Seahawks game. Uh, Matt Ryan missed that week. Matt Schaub was in his place. And then all of a sudden, something clicked, and by the end of the year, they were beating the 49ers in San Francisco. Uh, they finished 7-9. and nine. They won six of their last eight games, their only losses uh, coming to Tampa Bay at home, and then New Orleans, who was one of the best teams last year at home. They beat the Saints in New Orleans. Uh, John, what team do you think the Falcons are more closely to heading into 2020 here? Are they the team that got off to such a slow, terrible start last year? Are they the team that is more similar to what we saw in the season's second half. Yeah, I think they got to be uh, not as much in the second half because I, I don't because uh, again, how much did they lose as far as, you know, what they lost in say free agency and different things like that. But I think, you know, they're they're more of a 500 team. And so they ended up, you know, getting to the end at 500 or you know, what 7 and 9 or whatever, uh winning 6 out of their last 8 games, but I can't envision them, you know, being on the level of Tampa Bay and New Orleans because I don't think they added enough. And we'll see how Fowler does fit in, but what I'm concerned about again, you know, sometimes you go against character, and of course, what Dan Quinn is so good at doing. Remember, Dan Quinn's such a good coach; he was able to get the Falcons to a Super Bowl and almost won that game, uh, were it not for some bad calls by Kyle Shanahan at toward the end of the game offensively. And of course, uh, you know, the New Orleans, New England Patriots came back and won that game. Uh, but overall, I think that uh, you know, I think Dan Quinn's a good coach, but honestly, he's coaching for his job right now. I mean, this is going to be you know, one where he needs to win, and this is an important one. Unfortunately, he doesn't have fans in the stands in this one. Uh, this is a pressure-packed game, and Seattle comes in with more talent. I, they absolutely do, and I think Seattle is the much better team. I think Vegas has them as what one or one-and-a-half-point favorites going into Sunday. So, I mean, they're expecting a close game, and it's the Seahawks, so obviously it's going to be a close game. But I think pound for pound, John, the Seahawks are the much better team than the Falcons. It's just they got to deal with the travel. they got to deal with the headaches of you know, what COVID has, has done to regular day-to-day operations in the NFL, having to go across the country. But I still think, John, when you've got Russell Wilson at quarterback and, and you've got uh, two of the best units on your defense in, in the linebackers and the secondary and, and you've got so many weapons for Russell Wilson to use – I would be stunned if the Seahawks do not win on Sunday. Yeah, again, but that's kind of the pressure is. I mean, that's where you look at the schedule and you know you catch a team at a good time, particularly uh, you know coming off a training camp, and that's where continuity. And I give to their credit, there's a lot of continuity right now on the Falcon team. You know, because again, you know, as, as much as that they probably needed to add more than just Dante Fowler, a bunch of draft choices, a minimum salary guys, and again, that's where the Desmond Trufant loss could really come back to hurt them. But, uh, no, I think that you know the Seahawks should be favored, but, again, you can't take them lightly. You know, Dan Quinn knows this team so well, has coached this team, knows it, uh, you know, and so they can do it. And, of course, you have to always wonder, Matt Ryan is one of the better quarterbacks in the National Football League. Maybe not the equal of Russell Wilson, but, you know, the one thing that uh, this team will need to do is run the football. And that was a problem right now for the Falcons. The Falcons weren't very good 
in stopping the run. And what's your thoughts on Todd Gurley? I was kind of curious to maybe wonder if Dan Quinn had much to say about him because I know the thought is with that knee, they don't want to overdo it with him. They want to get him 15 to 25 touches and includes passes and, uh, you know, kind of running a little bit of a different running scheme. Yeah, he didn't specifically mention Todd Gurley today in his press conference, but he did mention the offense as a whole and how prepared they will be uh, for the you know unforeseen circumstances with you know no crowd and a pumped in crowd noise. Here's what Quinn had to say about that. Yeah, I think um, they're pretty equipped for that, and that's um, you know you get into you know signals and silent counts and you know different ways to use a cadence. So those are things that uh, that we worked on, but I think. Going to the stadium and having the experiences with that um, certainly seemed to help. In this season of, of new things, you wanted to keep trying and keep putting your space, yourself in the environment to try some of the new things. And so um, having the sound at the stadium, it was pretty familiar for us. Dan Quinn, in his time as Falcons head coach, he, he's never really gone with a running back that will have you know the twenty-five to thirty carries a game. The the one guy, even when they were running the ball really well with Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman, they kind of split time between those two guys. John Todd Gurley is not the same running back that he was a couple of years ago. I think it's very safe to say that. Do you think he'll ever get back to that level, or is he? Is he on the downslope of his career, even though he's only, what, 25, yeah, 26 I think he's on the downslope. I mean, you know, because, you know, and I talked to teams back when he was drafted, and they said the same thing, is that some teams just took him off the board because of the knee. Uh, and, you know, you can see that, uh, you know, different backs have a kind of a period where if you have a knee that is going to be bad, is eventually going to catch up to to you, you know, because you've seen that with other backs. And so I think that it's catching up to him. He still has some good football left in him but not like it was where he was one of the top backs in the league I mean he got the big uh, 14 million dollar contract and now it's a matter that they couldn't afford to keep him with the Rams and now he comes back for like a third of the money to play for the Falcons you know he's still dangerous and of course one thing I think this is going to be one one of the good tests for Seattle because uh, I and Dirk Cutter is probably the offensive coordinator who's worked the best for Matt Ryan. At least that's Matt Ryan's opinion. And so he gets the guy that he likes, but it also looks to me like uh, Dirk is going to bring a little bit more of that Kyle Shanahan type running offense with him now that they got Gurley. And of course, remember, Kyle before he went to San Francisco was in Atlanta with Dan Quinn. So they're going to use a little bit of that, but that's where the good test for Seattle is going to be because you know this gives them a chance you know for the four games against the Rams and 49ers to test out how this defense can do against that type of running offense. Yeah, it's it's going to be. Uh, I, I think it's going to be close, just as Vegas has sort of projected it to be. But as we know, John, that's how the Seahawks love to operate. That's how they they want games to be close in the end. That's how Pete Carroll has sort of operated his whole system here in, in Seattle. And uh, if if I'm banking on a, a close game, I'm banking on Russell Wilson. I'm banking on the Seahawks. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, that's going to be fun. It's going to be fun just to have a football game. And of course, we have one tomorrow night. Uh, the Thursday night game. All right, of course, uh, be sure to check out the professor's notes on 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming back next, we're going to go behind the, we're actually get behind the lines, catch up on the National Football League. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. 
Well, one thing Dan Quinn did say, and we talked about the crowd noise piped in, and it's 75 to 80 decibels, but he said it's nowhere as loud as it is in Seattle or the Falcons uh, when they have it. Of course, it's kind of interesting that uh, they were caught years ago uh, piping uh, crowd noise in there. According to uh, different sources, CenturyLink was as good as 137.6 decibels, and that was a game Monday night against the Saints in 2013. So you can see that uh, you know crowd noise is not going to be a factor in this game. We'll see how it's going to affect things. But of course, we do have more signings in the National Football League as far as where things are going, and of course, two big ones, two big ones in this division. You know, they've got the deal done with the Andre Hopkins. Now, again, they say with new money, it's over $27 million a year, 54 and a, I think a quarter uh, million over two years. But really what you look at is now the five-year deal because what teams are doing and players are accepting doing is knowing that the cap's going to go down next year. You kind of backload the contract and you backload it so that uh, you can take advantage from, say, 222 to 220, uh, 224 when the cap is going to go up big time with the new TV contracts. And so, I mean, you don't get much of a raise in the first two years, but you kind of give the team some cap room to be able to do some things, and that's the way deals are being done. It's the same thing, I'm sure, with Jalen Ramsey, you know, because Jalen Ramsey gets, you know, five years, $105 million, and you're thinking, wow, how's that going to be? But my guess is what it's going to work out to be is that over the six years on the five-year extension, that it's going to probably be, you know, 16 to $17 million a year, maybe a little bit higher than that. But those are the new things that you have to kind of study because, you know, people went crazy when they saw the Patrick Mahomes contract at 45 but in reality it was 39.8 and everybody who's a negotiator recognizes that because uh Deshaun Watson you know then would say if I'm I'm not that much less than uh, Mahomes I should get 42 43 we accepted 39 that's just a new way that you have to kind of look at the way contracts are done Curtis in the National Football League yeah, and, and there are plenty of contracts getting done. Uh, the big one today being Jalen Ramsey uh, with the Los Angeles Rams, 71.2 guaranteed at signing. Uh, just a massive, massive deal. And just completely resetting the market, too, for cornerbacks in the NFL. What was it? Tredavious White had the previous high at 17 and a half. Jalen Ramsey. And it's going to be, it'll be a little bit more than the 17 and a half. Mm-hmm. Again, it's not going to be, I mean, when you look at the contract, and because and, and, this will be probably the top one right now, Ramsey, I don't see anybody other than maybe Marcus Lattimore trying to top it. But again, you know, when you look at the deal, because like, for example, on the $27 million extension for Hopkins, it's really about 18.8. Yeah, and it's uh, it's still just a massive amount of money, and, and we've seen teams in the NFC West make these big acquisitions, the DeAndre Hopkins trade, the Jalen Ramsey trade, and now I think Jamal Adams is the next in line of those huge acquisitions in this division to get uh, a deal done, obviously, with the Seahawks sending two first-round picks mm-hmm. to the Jets, that that probably prioritizes him over just about anybody, even though uh, we heard from Jason Lockhart-Fora say that Shaquille Griffin is engaged into contract talks with the Seahawks. Uh, I would be stunned if, if something doesn't get done between the Seahawks and Jamal Adams within the next couple of years. Yeah, it'll, it'll be done next year. <clears throat> because at least when the trade happened and he was so happy to get out of New York, he basically took the position. It's like, fine, I'm getting away there. I'll play at the $3.8 million bucks I'm making right now. I'm fine. And then we'll work on something next year. And I think so. Uh, and of course, you know, he had to sort out the cap and where the cap's going to be. And this team's in real good shape as far as that goes. But I think, you know, it's, I think it's important right now and vital that this team, you know, they have to get two deals done at least. 
And, of course, that can put Adams into next year, but also get something done with Shaquille Griffin. If they can get something done here pretty soon, that would be, I think, good for the team and good for everybody else. Yeah, uh, not good, though, in the NFL, though, was the injury suffered by Vaughn Miller in yesterday's practice being labeled as a dislocated peroneal tendon. Uh, which is in his ankle. That's according to Ian Rappaport, Mike Garofalo of NFL.com. And this means that his recovery time is going to be uh, normally five to six months. They say a best-case scenario would be three months of rehab, but even with a three-month rehab, that would put him back in about mid-December, which would be a couple weeks left in the regular season. So even if Miller does come back, this season, it's only going to be for uh, like two or three games at most. Where does this put Denver uh, in the AFC playoff race? Because I think a lot of people had, had picked them as maybe a, a sleeper pick yeah. in the AFC. Now, I mean, he's their best player, and it's not even close. To not have him on that roster, where do you think that puts them? Yeah, I think that puts them at eight or nine wins. I think that, which is a shame because you know he's done, uh, <clears throat> he's such a good player, and also I think puts him in a position where this could be it for him in Denver. You know, he has option years each of the next couple years coming up, and you know they always are going to pick up the option because he's able to play. But now he's older; he's now got the injuries catching up to him. And you know, again, a Hall of Fame type career coming in from that 2011 draft. But you know, I I had to make my Washington Post picks, and I was really struggling to say, okay, do I pick, who do I go with? Uh, do I go with as a wild card? Because again, the division is going to go to Kansas City. I think we all agree on that. But uh, I picked Denver over Houston. I picked Denver over uh, the Raiders because I, I don't think the Raiders on defense are going to be as good as everybody thinks they're going to be. And I, the Chargers, but of course they lose Derwin James, and so uh, you know that last spot could be wide open. Denver, if they get the offense going, can slide in. But boy, when, you know, last year you saw the damage done when Bradley Chubb lost the season, and now you got even a better player in Von. Miller losing his season. Yeah, Miller in his career has only had two seasons with less than double-digit sacks. Uh, that was 2013 and then last year in 2019. Both of those seasons, though, were the only seasons that he did not play a full 16-game schedule. So when he's out there and healthy and playing, he is among the best pass rushers. He's always been among the best pass rushers ever since he entered into the league. And uh, yeah, like you said, John, you wonder if this is it for him in Denver because he's going to be 32 next year. Uh, he'll, he'll be basically a full year removed from last playing. Uh, it's just it's so unfortunate that this may be the end of Von Miller in Denver, uh, just how it ended or, or how it may end. But, yeah, just a, a brutal blow for that Broncos team that I think a lot of people were looking at and saying, eh, maybe they could surprise. Uh, also, John, a couple of retirements today uh, in the NFL, some big names uh, hanging it up officially. One, I, I mean, obviously this was not a surprise. Uh, it's been a couple of years since he last played, and, and he suffered that devastating injury on, what was it, Monday Night Football. I mean, Steelers linebacker Ryan Shazier uh, officially announcing his retirement, saying he's retiring from the game that I love. Uh, his recovery from that brutal injury has been remarkable. He's he's able to walk on his own power now. Uh, great to see that. And then Akeem Talib, one of the great characters in yeah. NFL history. Uh, John... Any fun stories you have of covering Aqib Talib over oh, the last yeah. 10 yeah. years? Yeah, my, my favorite was I had to do, and this was right at the end of the season, uh, a story on Wade Phillips. Right. And so mm-hmm. uh, and of course, Akib, of course, is as street as you can get, which, of course, is great for me growing up uh, where I grew up. And so uh, I go to Akib and I say, hey, Akib, uh, you know, you got the Patriots coming up. And he says, man, what are you talking about? 
you got you're talking about a game for next week. I'm not going to talk about a game for next week. I said, and I look him straight in the eye and I go, Akeeb, I'm talking about Wade Phillips, okay? And how Wade Phillips is going to prepare for the Patriots. You go, oh man, Wade Phillips, I love that guy. He says, you got the, uh, you know, he's his his uh, area drops. Uh, when he calls plays, that's and he's so bold in no. able to do that. And of course, uh, he says all these other coordinators, their areas don't drop. And so uh, it was just so funny. And then so we immediately identified. And uh, he was always great to me in the locker room after that. And then he was great on the interview on Wade. And then he also uh, would come on ESPN Radio with me. Yeah, and Akeem Talib, also known for snatching Michael Crabtree's chain at multiple times in his career. So I imagine Michael Crabtree happy to see Akeem Talib hang it up. But, oh, yeah, uh, no doubt about it. So it's like, uh, but yeah, seeing his retirement, I guess he's going to go into some kind of a media. I don't know exactly what it is, but I think he'll be real good at it. The only thing that uh, you have to watch out with Akeem, because I know it happened to me on ESPN Radio, he might lay a curse word on oh, there no. that you, have to, <laughs> you might have to delete. So it's like, that does happen. <laughs> so stay tuned for that hey coming up next we're going to jumble jumble things around because dave wine will be wyman will be joining us at 11 30 so we're going to come back with the report card it's the john clayton show 710 espn seattle